You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Welcome to uh, Providence Community Church, and what a joy it is to be able to gather with the saints once again. Um, This is such a beautiful thing because the inherent nature of the gospel is that God became man to rescue a people, to draw him to himself, what he would later call in the New Testament the church. And being able to gather with you this morning as the church, um, it brings joy to my heart and many times uh, leading up to this service, uh, tears to my eyes. So... Um, what a what a wonderful thing it is to have friends with uh, with us today. If you're if you're watching us online, uh, we miss you. We wish you could be with us, and uh, we look forward to the day. In fact, we long for the day that you would be able to join us again. So as we begin to slowly transition to what our normal gatherings would look like, uh, we want to we want you to keep in mind a couple things that we have in place in order to make sure this is a safe environment for those that do choose to gather. Um, so a couple things, please keep. Uh, proper social distancing at all times. We just ask that you respect that, that uh, there are some people here that are not really concerned, but there are people here that did choose to gather that are concerned. And so uh, one of the best ways you can love your brother and sister in Christ is by respecting distances. Not everybody wants a hug. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) We do have some huggers though. So we do. Uh, I respect that. Uh, There are... when you go to the restroom, please uh, only keep three people in the restroom at a time, um, and that's just to incorporate social distancing rules. And then lastly, but certainly not least, uh, this service definitely has a lot more moms uh, than the last one did. So we have made a larger uh, mom, mom's room in the multipurpose room for you to utilize if you have to. Um, we closed off the old mom's room because if you, don't, if you haven't been in there, it, it is a closet. So um, if we want to incorporate social distancing, we probably shouldn't put you in a cubicle. So what we did was we made a larger mom's room out in the lobby where you can enjoy the sermon uh, and everything that you normally would in there. Uh, it's closed off and private for you. So we hope you enjoy that and hope you feel uh, served by that. If you are joining us for the first time, whether in person or online, uh, we are grateful that you chose to gather with us. Uh, my name is Ty Gaston, and I serve as the Director of Family and Discipleship Ministries here at Providence. And Here at uh, Providence Community Church, we are a people formed around a single and compelling vision, and that is to make the gospel unignorable in our city. And it's to that end that we teach the Bible every single week because we believe it's been given to us so that we can know, worship, and obey Jesus. And we are currently in a series called Consider Jesus, where we have been turning our eyes towards the person and work of Christ, especially during a time uh, like right now where everything is uncertain. And the passage that we're going to be uh, learning and hearing from this morning is in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you don't, uh, there should be a Bible located in the seat back in front of you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can call your own. Consider that a gift from us to you. Uh, We would love nothing more than to be able to bless you with the gift of God's word. Again, we're going to be reading from John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18 says this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and saw him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but, I, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's awesome to see you, even as weird as it is, because you're all spread out. But I'm glad that we're all here together. Um, and thanks if you're, if you're watching online. We miss you, and we can't wait till you're here with us. I want to say happy Mother's Day. So all the moms, let's give a hand clap for the moms. We love you. Happy Mother's Day. You guys are champions, and we could never exist without you. Um, I, I also want to say uh, I love the Bible because the Bible it gives us an inclination uh, about moms that I think, and, and, and motherhood that's unique. Uh, in Genesis, it says that Eve gets uh, named, I think it's in Genesis chapter three, and that her name means the mother of all the living, and this is before she actually bears a child. And so I know that you know Mother's Day can be a tough, a tough day for some women. It can be a difficult day for some women. I just wanna remind you that uh, Mother's Day doesn't have to be a reminder of a lot of dark days just because you are not a biological mother of a child, but that motherhood is something that God bestows upon women and, uh, and that there's, that's, that's in you. That Like for instance, Deborah is called the mother of Israel. Um, and and there's, a, there's a motherhood from the Lord that's given to every single woman that she is honored by God. So I wanna say happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, Consider Jesus is the sermon series that we've been uh, walking through ever since uh, the coronavirus decided to ruin a lot of things, okay? And so a little angry about it, but I'm gonna try to uh, simmer down, okay? We've been walking through this series, Consider Jesus, and the, the thrust of it is this. If we've been forced to pause, if we've been forced to have a salah of sorts, what is it that we should be reflecting on? One of the things that has been statistically on the rise is people's anxiety and depression, because as you isolate, you are, are naturally re- reflecting on things or maybe overthinking things, and that when you turn inwardly like that, it actually starts to stir some things in you to make you feel more fearful. What about tomorrow? What's going to happen with the bank accounts? Are we ever going to get back to normal? Am I going to get sick? Are my kids going to get sick? Is my grandma going to get sick? Is, is everyone going to get sick? Is there a sick? Whatever it is that you're freaking out about, right? Um, there's this internal squabble that we're having. And I think that the Lord instead is inviting us to consider the person and work of Jesus, and inviting us to reflect, but inviting us to reflect in a way that doesn't turn inwardly where we get more anxiety, but turns outwardly where we think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you look in the scriptures, when God, when God allows or brings calamity, it's always a, it's a call to return. And so that's what we've been doing is thinking about considering Jesus. And we've taken different stories of Jesus's life as he interacts with different disciples. And post-resurrection, what we've been doing is just saying, Jesus meets with individual disciples after the resurrection. What's going on there? Why does he talk to them the way that he does individually? What's happening in that interaction? And what can we learn about him? And so this morning, and I wanna say this, this is not just a token girl sermon. This was in the plan. Just for, I want that to be known. Playing this out, but it just so happens we're talking about a gal on Mother's Day, Mary Magdalene. And Jesus' interaction with Mary Magdalene at the garden tomb, which is one of my favorite stories post-resurrection in the Bible. 
And so before we jump into the text, what I'd like to do is pray. Let me pray for us. Ask that the Spirit would help us to see, help us to hear, give us eyes to hear as the Lord teaches us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for those of us who are here who are able to gather in person. We're just, we're grateful, God. And for our friends and our family and our fellow church members who are at home right now, we miss them, we long to see them, Lord. And I just ask that you'd unify your church, Jesus. Keep our hearts inclined towards one another. Give us a heart of charity toward one another. And Lord, would you now speak to us through your word? What each of us needs individually, Lord, only you know. But you're so faithful to minister to us. You're so faithful to meet us here. And Holy Spirit, thank you that even when we don't sense your presence, we know that you're here and that you are acting and moving. And as we just got done singing, even when we don't see it, you are working in our lives. And so now open our hearts, open our eyes, help us to hear, help us to see God as we read your word. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John chapter number 20. Uh, just to catch you up on the storyline, the first 10 verses of chapter 20, uh, Mary goes to the tomb, Mary Magdalene. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Mary Magdalene in a moment, but Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she notices that the stone's been rolled away. So she immediately assumes, and not, not wrongfully, because this was something that it was kind of rumored around that maybe the Roman soldier stole Jesus' body in the night. And this freaks her out. She's coming to bring spices for the body. She's gonna try and, and basically worship the Lord and, and, and anoint his body as an act of care, and he's not there. And so she runs back to the disciples. She tells Peter and John. Peter and John start running. I love this part of the story because John, writing the book, says, the one whom Jesus loved ran faster than Peter <laughs> and makes it to the tomb first. It's like he records that he won the race. He's like, so I beat Peter to the tomb, obviously. But John, being a, Jew, Jewish, a good Jewish young man, he, he stoops into the tomb to look. Like, he doesn't go into the tomb. Because rushing into the tomb would have made him ritualistically unclean. You don't go into dead, tomb, dead people were in the tomb. That makes you unclean. You don't do that. I love Peter. Cares nothing about it. Shows up late, chubby and out of breath, and runs right into the tomb. And it says, this is one of my favorite parts about it. It says that they, what they find is the linens of Jesus Christ have been neatly folded and put to the side. And that's all they find. It's like Jesus wakes up, folds up the old dead grave clothes, and then heads out into the world to do what he is going to do and has been doing for the last 2,000 years, which is meeting his kids. It's powerful. It says that Peter and John, though, Mary's coming with them. Peter and John, they look. Again, John being, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's just speaking for himself, but he says, the one whom Jesus loved believed in his heart that he was risen, but he says nothing about Peter. <laughs> it's like Peter's still questioning. I knew he was alive, but Peter. And and it says they go back to their homes, though. It says Peter's considering this. He's perplexed. There's probably a lot going on with Peter, right? We've, we've been through this. But the scriptures record that Mary Magdalene sticks around. Mary Magdalene is weeping. Let's start in verse 11. It says this, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. The first time that she looks into the tomb herself. And she saw two angels in white that were sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not where they have laid them or laid him. So Mary's outside the tomb. She's devastated and weeping, mourning, and she finally stoops in. And unlike Peter and John, now all of a sudden there are angels there that start an interaction with Mary, didn't talk to John or Peter. They went home and it's just her and the angels. Pretty interesting, right? 
Don't know if they were there and they just appeared to her or they weren't there and then they showed up. I don't know, but there's a new conversation that's happening. Now, before we continue with Mary's story, it's kind of important that we know a little bit about who Mary Magdalene is. Couple things. When we say Mary Magdalene, that's not, Magdalene is not her name. It's about, it's from the, t- it, it refers to the town she was from. She was from Magdala. So it's like Mary from Magdala. That's the town that she was from. The scriptures record that she had seven spirits, seven demons that tormented her, that possessed her. This idea of her having seven demons would have been uh, like, it's, it's, a, it's a line in the Bible pointing to the number seven because the number seven is the number of completion. This idea of she, had, she was completely and utterly dominated by dark spiritual forces, physically, mentally, spiritually. She was overrun by spirits. And Jesus, the Bible records, cast out all these demons and frees Mary. That basically she had been completely in utter torment and in, in an utter like spiritual and physical prison. A lot of times in the gospels, what you'll find is people that are demon possessed are sick and being thrown around on the ground. Foam, it's, it's, in, it's terrible. And Jesus frees her. Now, the Bible doesn't stop there. Check this out. Mary is actually mentioned 12 times in the gospels. That's more than a lot of the other disciples who are of the 12. She's mentioned 12 times in the gospels. And she's mentioned as a very devoted follower of the Lord Jesus, like traveling with him at times. Um, the Bible also records in Luke chapter 8 that, that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the household manager of Herod, and Susanna all gave of their own finances to support the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So she was a woman who at least at bare minimum had a job and the means through which she gave to Jesus and kept supporting his ministry along with these two other gals. That would have been shocking at that time that Jesus, a male rabbi, would have allowed these women to be the primary supporters of his ministry. But the book of Luke records it as an honor to these women and that Jesus accepted it glad, gladly. They were with Jesus. They were a part of his ministry. She kneels at the cross with Mother Mary. Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene are often talked about in the scriptures uh, right alongside one another. She's kneeling at the cross with Mother Mary as Jesus is giving up the ghost. Later, Mary is gonna courageously follow Joseph of Arimathea all the way to the tomb in the middle of the night in Jerusalem so that she would know where the tomb was so she could return to it. That's a dangerous thing to do, for, especially for a woman late at night to try to follow through the Jerusalem streets to figure out where Jesus would be buried. She's courageous, she's devoted, and she loves Jesus. And you gotta ask yourself, why is she so devastated here? Well, all the disciples are devastated because Jesus is dead. But Mary, I think, is uniquely devastated. And this is me maybe putting my own commentary in it, but she's devastated because this man, Jesus, represented her freedom, represented her life. She, had, she didn't have a life. Her life had been taken from her by spiritual demons and darkness. And Jesus showed up and did what none of the exorcists of the day could do. So all the other exorcists came in and tried to help her. None of that worked, but Jesus stepped in and she got her life back. And now this man's gone. Now, what I love about this story is as she comes in and the angels ask her, why are you weeping? She says, where'd they put the body of the Lord Jesus? She hasn't kind of of got it yet. What I love here is the angels don't respond to her because the Bible records she turns to walk out of the tomb and there's Jesus. Now, there's so many meanings to this, but I wanna mention this it's not coincidental that the, Mary Magdalene is the first person to see the risen Lord. This is no small thing. Peter and John were just there. You're going to tell me that Jesus couldn't have revealed himself. In a minute, you're going to realize that he, she mistakes him for a gardener. I'm like, I don't know what Jesus is doing. I don't know if he's trimming hedges. It's odd what Jesus does after the resurrection, isn't it? It's like he folds clothes. He trims hedges. I don't know what he's doing, but he doesn't show himself to John or to Peter. It's Mary Magdalene that he shows up to. 
Mary Magdalene turns and she sees the Lord Jesus. The first thing that I see in this text, and this is important, Jesus meets us in our mourning, in our loss, in our grief, and he meets us, he wants to meet us there personally. Listen, Jesus sends messengers, and oftentimes we need messengers. We need to hear through one another, through the body of Christ. Brendan even read it, 1 Thessalonians, we are eagerly desirous to be with one another. Why? Because through one another, we're able to mediate the very presence of God, being able to speak the truth to one another in love. And we know that Jesus is with us because we're with each other. And there's a, there's a power in that in the church, right? It's why we want to gather physically. It's why we want to talk to one another. This is, this is important. However, there are times where there's a moment of meeting with Jesus that is uniquely supernatural, and it's what we need. And that's what happens here with Mary. It's he meets her. Or as First Peter says, First Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, he himself will strengthen, confirm, establish, and restore you. God's promised to do that for us. And I'm not saying that sometimes he doesn't do that through brothers or through sisters, but I promise you, there's these moments where you know that this was the Lord. And so, that's what's happening here with Mary. Mourning, loss, despair, emptiness. I think like the coronavirus has offered a unique opportunity for us to fall into this, hasn't it? Not that we all don't have mourning, despair, loss, and emptiness, but I was talking with a friend who got to visit this week, and we were saying social media gives you the feeling that you're everywhere, so omnipresent, and that you, you because you, you're able to, like I was joking, all of a sudden we know the politics of like India and China, you know, because we have social media, right? It's like I've read 17 articles, so I all of a sudden know, you know, the, I'm a virologist, you know, I, it's crazy. Like I'm omniscient and I'm, and I'm, and I'm omnipresent. I, I can be everywhere because I can look at what everybody's doing and, uh, and, and I can know everything because I've, I've listened to like thousands of hours of YouTube footage. And, and even though like those things are not true, it still makes us feel that way. But you know the one thing that none of us feel? Omnipotent. In this time, what you don't have is power and you feel like you can do nothing. And that is a very terrible place to be, isn't it? To know the sorrow of the whole world and have this much ability to change it. To know the hurt, the pain, the fears, the anxieties that be coming at you 100 miles an hour. And you feel like all you get to know is more and more and more and more of that every single day. There's press conferences every day about it. Giving you numbers of just how bad it's going to get. Just how bad it's happening. Guess what you can do about it? Little to nothing. Suicide numbers are higher now. And I think suicide's a dark and tragic evil, but I think it comes from the depths of despair, the spiritual darkness. It's, a, it's the idea that the world would be better if I'm not here. There's a vexation of soul. And, and I know I'm taking my own license here, but I think that maybe Mary Magdalene's feeling a little bit of the old scars from having been possessed by seven demons. There's a vexation in her soul that's happening here, and it's, it's reckoning back. And then Jesus shows up. <laughs> then Jesus meets her. A question that I've been asking myself as I, was, as I was reading this is, have I turned, like Mary, from looking into the tomb of death to look and see where Jesus is? I feel like every time I turn on the television, I'm looking into the face of death. If I'm on social media, I'm looking into the fear of death. Have I turned to see where Jesus might be in all of this? Looked for his hands, sought his activity, his voice, his presence. You see, Jesus meeting Mary here is a reminder that Jesus is not only willing, he's eager to meet us in our darkest moments. Our most painful moments, our lonely moments, our hurting moments, our mourning. And he not only sends the angels, because he does. That's pretty cool too, right? Let's not miss that. Like there's angels. John and Peter went in there. They saw clothes. Mary shows up. There's two angels at the head and feet. Hey, why are you crying? 
But then Jesus shows up himself. Jesus always asks the best questions too. Listen to how the story goes on. So after she says, I don't know where they laid the body of my Lord, the angels don't say a word. And then in verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus always asks the best questions and doesn't give the answers. I told the 9 a.m., I was like, isn't it interesting that the one man that we all want answers from tends to always ask us for answers? Isn't that odd? The, man, the only man that could, has the right to be presumptuous never is. He already knows what you're thinking, and yet Jesus regularly has gone, what is on your mind? Asking questions, drawing Mary out. Whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? Now, I want to give Mary the benefit of the doubt. How does she not know that it's Jesus, though? Like, she's been around Jesus for how long now? Jesus starts talking to her, and she mistakes him for the gardener? It's like, okay, maybe she's looking down, not looking up. That's a possibility. My wife gets mad at me when I don't make eye contact with her because I rarely ever, ever, ever remember what's being said unless I'm looking right in her eyes. And so it's plausible that he, she's looking down. It's also plausible Jesus' back is turned. Maybe Jesus, like I said, he's working on the hedges, he's doing whatever, that he can't see his face. I don't know. But listen to me, I thought maybe, just maybe, and I think there might be some hints here that grief, suffering, hardships, hurt, and confusion have a way of shielding our eyes from the presence of Jesus. Like maybe that's what's happening. Like maybe when your head is filled with confusion, it's hard to think. And maybe when our eyes are filled with tears, it's hard to see. And maybe when your heart is filled with pain, it's hard to feel. And so even though you know that Jesus is there, your eyes become bleary. And you just mistake him for ordinary. Now here's the good news is when you mistake Jesus for ordinary, Jesus works through the ordinary all the time. I love that he, that he, th- he thinks he's a gardener. Because God uses gardeners. Jesus reveals himself to us through gardeners, and that's great. And here's why it's great, because some of us are gardeners. What hope do we have of Jesus to use us if he wouldn't use like regular people like me? Now, I'm not a good gardener, but I still do garden. But what happens? Jesus calls her by name. Check this out. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you took him. Tell me where you laid him. Tell me, and I will take him away. Now, Mary, this is great, right? Mary has to be, she's overthinking just how strong she is. She's gonna carry the body of the Lord Jesus alone. But this shows the devotion, how much she loves Jesus. She said, you just tell me, I will find a way. I will bring him back, right? Jesus said to her, Mary, That's it. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. What happened there? One word, and she recognizes him. What's the word? Her name. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number one. This is what God says to the children of Israel. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. That's the same name, by the way. Jacob, Israel, God changed that name. (laughs) Fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I called you by name. You are mine. John chapter 10, Jesus says, as he is giving the good shepherd parable, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And then verse 28, they hear my voice, and I will lead them out. I know them by name. 
Exodus chapter 33, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, the very thing that you've spoken to me, I will do it. Why? Because you found favor in my sight and I know you by name. It's no small thing that Jesus is calling Mary by name here. It's, it's exactly what she needs. And I would imagine that it's hard to explain this, but you only know if you know that you need to be called by name, by Jesus. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that necessarily you're gonna audibly hear your name spoken by Jesus. It means that he's going to speak to you or do something in such a way that you know that he sees you. You know that he knows you and you know that he's chosen you. And there's these moments, and I don't know how to explain them except to say that you have to know that you know that you're his. And that's what he does for Mary here. She saw angels and she still didn't know. She saw angels and she's still talking about the body like that matters. And yet when Jesus says Mary, she knows. Calling her by name means that she is his. It means she can't be taken away from him. It means he will always be with her. It means that he is here with her now. It means that she can take courage. It means that she can reject her anxiety. It means that she can reject the lies of the enemy. They don't have sway over her anymore, and they never will. This means the same thing for us. When he calls us by name, we're new. We're his. It means we're not forgotten. God hasn't left us as orphans. And check this out. He will return for us. When he calls us by name, it means that we are not chained to habitual sin anymore. It means we're not, we are sons and daughters and not slaves. It means the vexation of our soul can be healed when he calls you by name. Is there anything that we need more than our name on his lips when you feel like he doesn't know you and then he sees you? I think of Zacchaeus. As the crowds are going through, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's the most hated man. He climbs up a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Everyone's crawling all around Jesus to get his attention. Jesus stops the crowds and points into the tree and says, Zacchaeus, let's have dinner at your house tonight. I love that Mary here, I struggled with this many times as I read it. I thought that maybe there was some mystic reason why Jesus didn't want to be touched. I, I pictured him being like a lot of us are right now, like, don't hug me. I got to ascend. Like if, he, if she touched him, maybe he would be unclean. And I don't really know, maybe I'm theologically off on this, but someone finally said something to me that made more sense, which is she clings to him because she doesn't want to lose him. And he says, you got to let me go so that I can ascend, so that I can send the helper. Because the Holy Spirit is who's with us, God in us, with us always. And he says, it's better for you if I go. But she's clinging to him. She's hugging him. She's grasping onto Jesus. Why? Because she's like, I've lost you once. It's not going to happen again. And I love what Jesus' response is to her. It's not only that he speaks her name and heals the vexation of her soul, but then he sends her out gives her purpose and direction. She clings, she's fearful. He says, no, I need you to go. And I need you to go share with your brothers the good news. What's the good news? Well, the line of the good news really gets to me. Listen, tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. He just said, tell your brothers what is mine is now theirs. Tell your brothers that everything that's true for me is true for them. Tell your brothers I've won. And because I win, they win. Tell your brothers they have a family. Tell your brothers I've made it all right. Tell your brothers I'm alive. And tell your brothers I'll be, I'll be seeing them soon. Now, I, I think there's a lot to this. 
there's got to be a lot of fear here. And actually, what happens is she does tell them, and some of the guys are like, meh, maybe. <laughs> and and I, women are like, uh-huh, that's how it always happens. And, but, but part of me is like, that's sad, isn't it? Isn't that sad that the guys just don't see it? They don't catch it. They dismiss her. But you know what she does? She does it anyway. She's faithful. She goes and says, I have seen the Lord. Not I saw an empty tomb. Not I saw the linens. Not I, I saw angels. I saw the Lord. She goes and shares. When we think of being obedient to Jesus' call to share, I think sometimes we think we need to be articulate. Like we need a theological precision of John Frame or Wayne Grudem. We need the vernacular of Tim Keller. You ever listen to Tim Keller? He's like a spiritual Yoda. Like he just says one-liners and you're like, oh. One time he preached a sermon on the, text, the same text that I preached on a Sunday and I just wanted to quit. I'm like, why do I preach? Why do I talk about the Bible? Why don't I just push play for others? And this is what we think sometimes. Like we need the humor and the winsomeness of Matt Chandler mixed with, you know, the, the depth and the, the breadth of R.C. Sproul then we'd see people come to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even say that remotely to Mary Magdalene. He just says, go tell them you've seen me. That's it. Just go tell the news. And, and here's the thing, not only that you've seen me, but tell them the good news. I won, I won. And they're my little brothers. And God is their father. Tell them the good news. And there's even more here. He doesn't say, and Mary, it's, tell them that don't worry, uh, I'll show up to them exactly how I showed up to you. And she doesn't have to go try to conjure up the experience. You ever felt that way? Like you meet with Jesus, it's so powerful. So you feel like when I meet with, I gotta do that same thing. It's why we have smoke machines in church. You know what I'm talking about? It's like we had a moment and maybe there was some like crazy. And then, so we're like, you know what? We gotta do that again. It's like, where's the dry ice? We're gonna make this thing happen. That's how we always are. <laughs> It's like we want to do that same thing again and therefore we think we have to fabricate or conjure up an experience and then when that doesn't happen, we feel like it was a failure. I'm sure Mary felt like it was probably a failure when she said, I saw the Lord and she thought they would all go, you know, he lives, you know, and, and they'd have a worship service and instead they were all like, huh, maybe. But what happens from Mary sharing that news is every disciple begins to have these moments with Jesus themselves. Thomas, here I am. You want to touch my side? You want to touch my wrists? Peter, do you love me? I mean, over and over, because she's faithful to tell them Jesus is alive. I want to ask you this morning, what has the Lord done for you lately? Where have you seen his hand? Where have you sensed his presence? Or maybe here's an even better question. Where have you mistaken him for the gardener? <laughs> where is it in your life that you've mistaken the ordinary and it was actually extraordinary? It was disguised. You thought this was just ordinary life you're living and what you're doing is you're passing by as the Lord Jesus is intimately involved in the inner workings of your life. And what you need most is for him to call you by name, but your ears are stopped because you just see the ordinary. <laughs> and maybe an even more important question would be, who is he sending you to share that with? I love that he doesn't tell Mary, Mary, I need you to go to all of Asia Minor and tell them that I'm alive. Don't get me wrong, she still has the call, right, of, of the disciples, go make disciples of all nations. But in particular, she just says, go and tell my brothers. She knows exactly who the brothers are. It's 12 people. Well, really 11, because Judas was Judas. So he's got 11 guys. 
go and tell them. There are times where we are overwhelmed by this massive call to go to everyone, and Jesus is actually just calling you to go to this one. And just tell him the news. He's teed it up. You just have to swing. So who is it for us? My prayer for us this Mother's Day is that we would see Mary's story, but man, we got to see beyond it to see Jesus standing there in the garden tomb. Listen to me. He still calls us by name. One of my favorite stories in the, in the New Testament is Jesus shows up to, uh, in the early days of his ministry, and a brother approaches a, a man named Nathaniel, their brothers, and says, I found the Messiah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, huh, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Which I resonate with because I grew up in Huffman. So it's like, Huffman, that's not, what, you know? And, and Jesus is there and he goes, ah, I see an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And then he looks at Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, you saw me when I was under the fig tree. And then he says, you are the Lord. And I I love that because there's a secret to that text. It doesn't then go on and give you commentary. It doesn't say, and this is what happened under the fig tree. (laughs) That's it. That's all you get. I saw you under the fig tree. You're the Lord. And that's what's happening here with Mary. When God calls us by name, he's telling us that he knows about us, that which no one else knows, and he's still chosen us. He's seen us in the times when you thought he didn't see you. I don't know what happened to Nathaniel under the fig tree, but Jesus knew. And that's all he needed to know. He didn't believe his own brother that Jesus was the Messiah. But when Jesus showed up and said, Nathaniel, I saw you, then he knew. And I don't know what the fig tree is for you, but maybe the most important thing for you to hear is your name on the Lord Jesus' lips that he would say, I see you and I saw you when you were under the fig tree. It's not just an invitation to trust Christ for the first time. Although I want to invite, if you're watching online, or even if you're in this room and you haven't trusted Christ for the first time, he calls you by name. He knows you. Trust him. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ, don't think that you don't need him to call you by name all over again. It's what you need. There's these unique moments that I can't explain unless you've experienced it where you just know that you know and it carries you in your darkest moments that he sees you for who you are. And so I want to exhort you to incline your ear to his voice. And then in the moment, in the season of great loneliness, I want to ask you, who is it that God's calling you to remind that he knows them by name? Maybe it's not all of our city. Maybe it's just one person that you ought to call and say he knows your name. Or maybe just call them. And who knows, maybe that's your spouse. I don't know. If you'll stand to your feet, I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've called us by name. Out of sin and darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you that you turned our eyes from the tomb of death out into the garden where you're still alive. 
for my friends under the sound of my voice, would you shake off the grave clothes that some of us are still wearing? (laughs) And simply with your name on our lips, would you take away the vexation in our soul? The things that nobody else knows that just plague us, Lord, you know them and you've still chosen us. That you would that you would bear our name on your lips is such an honor. And the fact that you not only have done that, Lord, but you've chosen that we might bear your name on our lips. And you've made us worthy. Jesus, do the healing like you did for Mary Magdalene and our souls. When the enemy berates us, would you silence him? When our own flesh tries to try, uh, tries to, Take power and authority. Would you silence our flesh and fan into flame the spirit of God? And Jesus, would you put someone in our mind that we might call and reach out to and let them know that you know them by name? Give us the courage to do it and just be someone who brings news. pray these things in Christ's name.